Welcome to this edition of Your Care, Your Rights, Your Voice. I'm Maraid Painter, and I am joined today by Cinnamon St. John from the Center for Medicare Advocacy. Cinnamon, thank you for being here today. Thank you so much for having me, Maraid. No problem. And um, so, Cinnamon, you've been on with me before, but I'd like you to just give a little background about who you are and the center and um, the work that you do there. Great. So I am, as we mentioned, Cinnamon St. John, and I am the Chiplin Medicare and Health Policy Fellow at the Center for Medicare Advocacy. So a lot of the work I do focuses on health disparities in the long-term care space. And over the last two years, I've been working at the center really focusing on nursing home issues and residents' rights. And as you can imagine, it has been a jam-packed couple of years. Not only can I imagine, I've been there with you and <laughs> totally understand. Um, so thank you for uh, for joining me. And we're kind of meeting today because um, you reached out regarding some bills that are um, moving forward here in Connecticut and wanted to have a discussion about them. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot going on in Connecticut right now. And one of the things I love about the legislation in Connecticut is it's a very progressive state. And it really kind of is at the forefront of the bills that we sometimes see on the national level as well. So when I was looking at uh, Bill 5313, which is a proposed bill, and it's called an act concerning temporary price controls on services provided by temporary nursing services agencies. You know, and over, I mean, for decades really, but for the last couple of years specifically, staffing has been a big problem in the nursing home space. And so I really wanted to get your perspective on what's going down essentially, because we're seeing these temporary staffing agencies charging higher and higher prices for direct care workers uh, to the nursing homes. And the industry is upset to say it mildly. What, what's your thought on this bill? Well, we were really happy to see this bill move forward. And I, I do have to thank the legislature here in Connecticut for always, um, they listen, right? They listen, they respond. Um, we bring issues and concerns to them early in the season to talk about what we're seeing, what we're hearing. Um, I actually was able to join together with the industry, the unions, AARP, and we all got together to talk about these topics. And this was something we really felt was important and to bring to um, the committee chairs to say, we, we've got to do something. You brought it up that staffing has been a long-term problem here in Connecticut since pre-pandemic. It was actually one of the things I had the last meeting about prior to the pandemic was about staffing concerns. Now, since the pandemic, what we've seen is this amazing shift. We had really seen a huge reduction in pool use here in Connecticut prior to the pandemic. We weren't seeing a lot of pool at all. And when I talk about pool, we're talking about these temporary agencies that have staff that come to the nursing home. So they're not your staff that is trained by the nursing home, um, that knows the residents, that provides that normal daily care. This is staff that picks up a shift. Sometimes, every once in a while, you have uh, the same pool staff that comes back for several shifts. But most of the time, it's a new person coming in, picking up a shift, and working with the residents to fill in the gaps in care. That would be the traditional use of pool staff. What we're seeing right now is whole shifts being pool staff. And the reason for that is they're telling us that they are being paid more by the pool than they are by some of the nursing homes. 
Mm-hmm. And there's really these wage challenges where people need to be paid a decent working wage for the a livable wage for the work that they're doing. But my concern is that when we're looking at these pool agencies from what we're hearing from the staff, what they're charging to the nursing homes and this gouging is well beyond what they're paying the individual that's actually doing the care. And so I think we would be less upset about it if that the majority of that charge was going to the person that was working, but it's going to these other companies. And so we're seeing bad outcomes for residents because they don't have that consistency in care. When there is, as you heard me testify today, when there's allegations of abuse, neglect, it's really hard to have any level of accountability because the person's gone, right? But then they could be working in any other building where as if they were a traditional staff member, they would have been taken off the floor while the investigation took place. And if it was found to be true, they would have been let go. And that would have gone against their license um, here in Connecticut. So that's an issue for me that we don't have the ability to safeguard in that way. Now that's interesting. And, you know, working at the center, uh, our, our main concern is about residents' rights and ensuring the best quality of care. But I'm going to present, you know, a couple of different questions and different angles because this is a challenging issue in the sense Mm -hmm. of, yes, temporary nurse agencies historically are not, you know, they're kind of like the last resort because those additional fees and residents are not able to create this relationship with the nurse aides and and the staff aren't as familiar with what the residents need because they don't know, you know, the, the residents themselves. At the same time, direct care workers have for over 40 years been needing to get paid more. And, you know, it, it's a tough spot because I've, I've I've interviewed people and heard people say that uh, an, a staff person will quit that job, go to an agency, and come back to the exact same facility, just getting paid more. You know, there mm-hmm. is there is an incentive there. How how do we balance those that those needs between getting more people on staff and ensuring that direct care workers get paid? Because it seems that what you're saying is that they're not getting paid. So they're never getting the right end of the stick. Wow, there's that was a you have packed a lot into that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, I think all <laughs> of those one? things, all of those things um are true. And there's components of them that, you know, we're seeing sort of this perfect storm in long-term care. And mm-hmm. so I think that's also why we're seeing so many bills move forward um, this session and so much come up because there are so many different components to why this is all happening. While you were talking, one of the things I thought about was when staff leave, right? If they're not, we're not gonna increase your your hourly rate. So you can go to the pool. They leave and they go to the pool. That also means that the nursing home doesn't have to pay their benefits. That cuts down on some of the costs there. Now they are finding that they're paying much higher rates, but traditionally when someone comes from the pool, how does that impact the nursing home overall? What we hear about sometimes, and I was thinking about when you were talking, was that some nursing home companies also own the agent, the staffing agencies. So if on one hand, they're no longer having to pay benefits for time off, sick leave, health care, but they're employing them through the temp agency, what does that look like? And what's the level of transparency there? 
knows what I think transparency is a word we're going to start to hear more and more about. And then there's another bill that I'm actually trying to pull up right now that we have um, related to the nursing homes having to spend more money related to the Medicaid rate. That's the 90, at least 90% of their Medicaid funding Correct. going to direct care. Correct. And that was so that individuals who are providing that care, the direct care, can have access to appropriate wages. So I think there's a lot of different components moving forward in these bills this session that can make our long-term care communities really successful, happy, thriving places to both live and work. And that's really the ultimate goal. So what I'm hearing from you is more of a systemic reorganization rather than saying the temporary nurse agencies are right to charge more because the direct care workers will receive a little bit more money at the end. And the, the two things that you touched upon, um, one, Skilled Nursing News, a trade publication just a couple of days ago, had, a, had an article about how more nursing homes are going to launch in-house staffing agencies uh, to combat this. And so I, I was curious to, to, to hear what you had to say about that, because it did seem a little bit like double dipping or this mm. lack of transparency issue. Well, it just makes me concerned for the individual. Why should they have to forfeit healthcare? and time off, and those things that we all cherish as part of our careers in order to receive appropriate wages. And so I think it's a good idea for them to have a backup plan, the nursing homes, and have um, full agencies available. You know, there are a lot of, um, when I worked in long-term care, there were some staff that decided to have families and so said, you know, we're each going to work less hours or take different shifts. And so they went to part-time or per diem or maybe worked for a pool. I would prefer to see per diem staff, staff that was able to continue to earn and to have those safe guards in place or bailer shifts, the two 12-hour shifts, mm. where they're hired by the nursing home. They create sort of their own secondary team, right? You have your traditional team that's doing the day-to-day. -day, and then if you have call out um, that you pay well and people are part of that secondary team. Uh, but we are hearing more about companies, just like I talked about today um, regarding the other legislation, you know, nursing homes are saying they're not profiting, but they own a lot of these other components of care related to the nursing home where you do see profits made. And I think that would be one of the areas. Now, let me press this a little more as far as this issue of not having consistent staff, that basically the temporary agencies are contributing to that. There, it seems that staff turnover, though, was a major issue even before the pandemic. There was a, a study printed in Health Affairs, and it said from 2017 to 2018, staff turnover for RNs in nursing homes was 140%. And staff turnover for CNAs in nursing homes was 129%. So, I mean, that's really bad. Mm -hmm. Is it way worse now? I mean, can it be worse? Are, are these issues, and, and I am pushing this a little bit, mm -hmm. being blown out of proportion? I don't believe they're being blown out of proportion at all. Think about it. If you or I went to a job every day where we did not feel we were valued, 
that we were paid for the work that we did. And that nine times out of 10, which is what we hear from staff, you're working short, right? So you're doing the work of two or three people. You're letting down the people that you care about and why you're there. Staff hate not being able to provide appropriate care levels for residents. And if you have 15 to 20 people you're providing care for, you're physically going to burn out. You are mentally going to burn out. And if you don't have the opportunity to be paid appropriately for that or to move up, right? We lost a lot of the programs where you had that career ladder. You started in housekeeping, uh, CNA, then you became a LPN, an RN, a supervisor. It showed value. It showed value for the people that were committed to working in this industry and um, to taking care of residents. And without that, yeah, they're going to leave. And we're seeing that. That's what we've seen. Yeah, and and I'm and and just to be clear, I'm a hundred percent on board with that. And that is exactly I, I wrote a report. Geography <laughs> is not destiny, <laughs> protecting nursing home residents from the next next pandemic. And I go into that because it is such a profoundly important issue. But what I'm talking about, I guess, is the actual turnover numbers, because mm-hmm. it was the turnover was so profound before the pandemic, what we saw with 140% for RNs and 129% for CNAs. Is it, how much worse is it now is what I'm meant to probe a little bit. I'm not sure. You know, we, a lot of people left during the pandemic because of of burnout. Some came back, some were leaving because of the bonuses. You could leave and go to (laughs) a different area of work to receive a bonus. Others were leaving because they felt they had access to PPE, right? One company might have better PPE than another. Um, or better access, not necessarily better supplies, but better access to. We know that staff talk, right? So we sometimes can tell when staff move from one company to another, one home to another. We also find that they follow management teams. So if you have a really good administrator or a DNS who put good systems in place and respect their staff and they leave, we'll see staff follow them to other buildings. That is so key. That that really is an important point. So another question that I have for you is if these temporary nurse agencies didn't weren't in this position of gouging the nursing homes, would staff just be leaving altogether? You know, right now we have staff that are leaving for the temp agencies and going to other places, getting potentially a little bit more, but also, you know, just having major rates happen, but they're also leaving. Would we see more people leaving? You know, that, that's a tough question. I think people are leaving. The ultimate reason is because they're not satisfied, right? If they were satisfied, they wouldn't be leaving. If they were paid well, if they felt that they were working in conditions that were reasonable and manageable. And so I think there's a lot of work that we need to do in order to sort of get under, get sure footing again. We need to make sure that we have happy staff that can work reasonable hours. The other thing that we're told is if you work for a pool and your day ends, you can leave. If you have a family and you need to be able to go home and you work for the nursing home and you get mandated to stay because there's nobody for the next shift, you can't go home. If you work wow. for the pool, you go home. And I think so, they got they got taken advantage of for a long time. And it was just the expectation that they just pick up extra shifts, that they work seven days a week, two shifts. And not only for the CNAs, 
nurses, and management teams. These management teams within the building, some of the um, nursing staff is picking up floors and working. It's the companies that I think we have to see put value back into the work that's happening, the care that's being given at all levels. And once you do that, will there be pool? Yes. But will there be people going to the pool at the rate that they are now? I don't think so. And we need to make sure that the pool can pay a little bit more, right? Because again, the person doesn't have benefits. They don't have time off. There's an, there's an exchange that's happening. But that the difference between what they're paying the individual and the money they're making isn't a huge difference. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. So I'd like you to maybe try to classify the degree of the problem that this issue is having for the state of Connecticut. Because in early January, uh, Connecticut's attorney general said that attorneys in their antitrust section of the office met with the nursing home industry to talk about these serious concerns raised, kind of taking it to the level of monopoly, um, saying it's a coordinated effort by the, the temp agencies to really gouge the nursing home industry? Or is it simply free market exploitation where one company sees a weakness and takes advantage of it for another private company? Or is this kind of, I'll say like almost payback in the sense that, like you said, direct care workers along the spectrum have you know, been asked to make serious compromises in the past in their work. And now they have a tiny bit of that power back. Where do you see that issue, this issue fall on the spectrum? Unfortunately, I don't see the power in with the worker. So the worker, yes, they can leave, they can go to the pool, but I don't think they're benefiting so much more that it displaces that power. As far as the free market, I, I understand free market and I understand supply and demand. And I think that's a really important component of of being from Connecticut, being in the United States and having that opportunity. It's when it really negatively impacts a group of people that otherwise don't have any control over the situation. And when I see it as gouging because of the excessiveness of it and the way that it's kind of been done systemically. I'll give you an example. We have an area of the state where there's probably four different nursing homes by four different companies in one town. They'll reach out to the pool, right? They all go to the, there's so many pool agencies. They'll put out to the pool on Monday. I know I have gaps in my schedule on Wednesday or Thursday. And I need somebody three to 11. And the pool commits to it. it says, okay, we're going to send you Maraid. Maraid's going to come <laughs> on Thursday or Wednesday at three o'clock to work that shift. Mm -hmm. But they also commit me to two or three other buildings. And come Wednesday, they say, well, I have one person. Which one of you is going to give me the most for that one person? Oh, well, that means those other two or three buildings that were also depending incredibly short for that night, last minute. And those residents then aren't going to get the care that they needed because the scheduler thought they had that hole filled. They thought they had a committed person. And and that's where I see it gouging because then they're playing, all right, it's almost like an auctioneer. You're going to give me 50. You're going to give me 60. You're going to give me 70. And it goes to the highest bidder. We are not dealing with cattle here. We are dealing with human beings that need to know they have people committing to their care. 
So once again, Mairead, you've convinced me. <laughs> that was, a, I think that was a really important example that you illustrated for us. Um, one follow-up question though, is when you talked about, quote, so many, you know, so many pool agencies. I, I read an article saying that a lot of these agencies are from out of state, not necessarily for Connecticut, but it was a national article. Is that an issue in Connecticut or are they basically all based in Connecticut? I don't know where their parent companies are out of, but we have a number of pool agencies here in Connecticut. During the pandemic, when staff were limited, I know there were times when they were using out-of-state agencies, they were having people come and stay um, and using them. I think, or I know I should say, the some of the nursing homes we've talked with have said that they're trying to contract so that they have the same person from the pool for like a 90-day commitment. And that's what we'd really like to see so that, all right, if you have someone, it's a committed rate, you know they're going to show up, they get to know the resident and those expectations of that home, um, the policies and procedures, which are so important, why we have them. If there's going to be pool used, I would prefer to see the long-term use or um, if they're from out of state coming and staying and consistently working in one home. So how much, uh, how likely do you think it will be that this bill gets passed? I'm strongly encouraged. I think we have a lot of a buy-in. Again, we've, we did a lot of the work before session in talking to each other, which I think is a real, um, it's unique maybe to Connecticut, where reaching out and my office talking with industry and seeing where they sit on something um, I had the opportunity to talk to Mag Morelli and Matt Barrett and ask them to put out to their members to send me in where were they seeing the most concern? What were the issues? So we weren't trying to just um, talk about what we were hearing, but we were getting it from administrators to kind of figure out how big of a problem it was. And then also listening to residents and family members about the impact when who staff are in the homes. And I don't want people to think that pool staff don't give good care. They do. These are individuals that are showing up. They're trying to, they're trying to do what's right for themselves as well in, in order to get paid. But I feel like they're being exploited a little bit as well by these companies that then are making so much more by offering them just a little bit more, if that right. makes sense. So at the nursing yeah, home, does. maybe they're getting paid $16, $17 an hour. And the pool says, well, we'll give you $23 to potentially 25, whatever that bandwidth is. Yeah. But then is charging 50 to 60. What, what is that other money going to? I mean, that's a very good point. And a couple of days ago, the National Association of Healthcare Assistants released a survey or a study showing that 84% of the respondents said that they would take better wages and benefits. It would take better wages and benefits to be hired back by a nursing home over other opportunities. So poor wages, burnout, exhaustion, and lack of respect. So, I mean, I think what you're talking about is just the fact that ultimately these individuals who are so integral to providing good quality healthcare for our residents are essentially being used as pawns. Um, you know, I mean, honestly, both by the industry and the temp agencies, I mean, at the end of the day, They've been, you know, struggling with poor work environment for over 40 years, you know, and mm -hmm. there was a study, I remember something along the lines of like between 2009 and 2019, the hourly wage for direct care workers in nursing homes only went up by 51 cents. 
You know, mm-hmm. so, I mean, that's tragic for 10 years, a 51 cent per hour paid raise, you know, something's got to give. And, right. and, I, and I, I do wonder, since you do have the ear of the industry, if this bill moves forward and there is a cap on the use of, you know, the, the hourly rate for temp agencies, and I know they had it outlined like $30 for a nursing assistant uh, per hour. Do you think we'll still hear from the industry that they don't have enough money to pay for minimum staffing? I think that they have the money to pay for minimum staffing. Now, the gouging, I get. Extreme costs, I get. But they've had increases. I know here in Connecticut, the Department of Social Services has given increases the past couple of years that was supposed to go directly to staff. And when you think about it, we're asking for people to be caregivers, right? They're also in need to take care of themselves. So how exactly. can you, for 10 years, like you said, for 10 years, you have a 50, 51 cent yeah. increase. How is that caring for yourself? How is that the staff's ability to tend to their needs, their family? And I, I think they've taken this opportunity to say, no, wait, other industries are valuing us. They're seeing that we we have something to give. Um, and I think it's a a reckoning, a time to say, you know, people say that they're, they're not profiting anymore. Nursing homes aren't profiting. Right. Well, is it okay to profit off people in need who are being paid for in state dollars and Medicaid? I think I'm okay that there aren't big dollars to be made. I'd rather see that money go back to lower staff to resident ratios, better care outcomes, and more opportunity for individuals to go back to school, to have on-the-job training, um, education training to further their career. And let's take this opportunity to care about them. Because when you have that, then they'll care about the residents. I, I am so glad that you're saying that because it is so important. There are statistics out there. PHI found that 13% of the nursing home direct care workers live in poverty and that a third of the direct care workers need some sort of public assistance like Medicaid or food and nutrition assistance. So what you're saying is exactly on point because at that that's not that's not a livable way. That's you know if you're living in poverty you don't have time to take care of yourself. You're surviving. Absolutely. And so with that cinnamon, you know you and I are going to get to have some of these dialogues. There's so much going on at the state there level is. here in Connecticut at the federal level. And one of the things coming up the federal level is just that we have staff living in poverty. Yet when it comes to these, I mean, we've talked a little bit about it already today, but transparency and um, why these large companies are buying in. People who have heard me here in Connecticut testify related to right size rebalancing have heard me say, I would rather see lots of small 60 to 90 bed nursing homes scattered throughout our state so that people have access in their communities of origin, being cared for by the people from their community of origin with the money going back into our communities of origin versus having it go to these large companies that are somewhere else in the country that are there for profit. And that's what they're concerned about. What is their profit margin at the end of the month? Not what is their quality of care outcome at the end of the month. 
because it's that staff that's working in the home and then going to stop and shop or going to some other business in town that has to look those family members in the eye and say, I gave your loved one the care that they deserve today. And that's what we've lost by having these super large homes owned by super large company. We've lost that person to person connection. And the only place that still existed was that direct care worker and the resident. And I think that's why we're seeing people leave because they just couldn't do it anymore. But you know what we've gained? The person to Excel sheet uh, <laughs> equation, because when you're talking, that's how a lot of these decisions are made in the larger companies. People are just lines on an Excel spreadsheet mm-hmm. looking for the bottom line. Well, thank you. And with that, I do hope that this bill passes. I know it's something that you and I um, will both be watching and we'll be um, talking with, again, the industry, talking with staff, talking with um, other advocates about, and um, really looking at how, what we're doing here. We also continue to look at trying to move forward on a national level, but um, any ending comments from you? Well, I think what we will be speaking about in our next conversation on what's happening on the national level is amazing. The Biden administration has been making a lot of moves, and I would love to get your input on what, what's going on there, too. Absolutely. So thank you for having me. Anytime. Actually, I love our conversations because, um, as people probably can tell from the conversations today, you and I can sort of go back and forth and on about this for a long time. Um, I do want to thank everybody for listening today and stay tuned. Um, our next podcast will also be with Cinnamon, and we are going to talk about um, some of the movement we're seeing at a national level related to the president and um, what he wants to see related to long term care. So I look forward to sharing that with you all, and we'll talk to you soon.